Steve Fezzik, AJ Hoffman. This is RJ Bell's dream preview. Sans RJ Bell. Uh, let's pull back the curtain for a minute. Uh, what what time is it here, Steve? It is 12.53 Thursday p.m. We're never recording a podcast at this time. Never. We get it out. We do We do podcast recording Wednesday night. Stay up as late as it takes. And last night it was, what time do we get out? Was it 11-ish or 10.30? I don't know. Ten, like who, who pays attention? 10.18. Okay. It was, it was <laughs> late-ish, West Coast time. Disaster strikes. And we have a computer glitch. So the audio of the four plus hours, five hours, I don't even know how many hours we did of recording last night is lost, gone forever. And that's Spencer's fault. Spencer. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And uh, he's no longer here. Pat Spencer got a great opportunity um, yeah. el- elsewhere. So you, anyone who's been in corporate America or who reads Dilbert knows of what I speak. So yep. this is comp- 100% an issue with Spencer, so it won't happen again. Yeah, so Spencer, uh, all I can say is after this, he's, he's he can't work here anymore. That's right. So uh, now that that's settled. At least unless he wants to come back. We'll talk about it then. Yes. And he'll have to make penance <laughs> for this. Uh, so what we're going to do is Steve and I are going to generalize what we went through yesterday. We're going to give you the best of. This is going to be the greatest right. pod ever. We got RJ's input. He has streamlined, made suggestions on bets. This is going to be a kick-ass, streamlined pod, and we've got RJ's input that will be incorporated. Yeah, and we're going to use some of the audio that we used from Straight Out of Vegas, some of our audio from Straight Out of Vegas uh, of RJ and I discussing Mac Jones and Cam Newton, but I wanted to get your thoughts, and, and you and I last night had a little bit of a disagreement on whether or not this was a downgrade. Uh, from from Cam Newton to Mac Jones. Yeah, a whole lot going on here. So let me give you my quarterback ratings before the news that Cam is no longer with the team. And personally, I think if the tiebreaker was the fact that he hadn't been vaccinated, and then he had the you know the team approved exit for five days, and this could that could not be good. Bottom line is I had Cam minus one and a half, so one and a half points worse than an average quarterback. I think I had him overrated. All right, I think I had him too high. And I had him a point better than Mac Jones, who I had two and a half points worse than an average quarterback. After all, unproven taken in the middle of the first round. Well, clearly Cam was too high. Mac Jones was too low. I upped Mac Jones to a minus two. That puts him right there with Zach Wilson and Jalen Hurts on the bottom of the barrel in terms of starting quarterbacks. So I upgraded Mac Jones, but I downgraded the Patriots by half a point. What was interesting, the market pretty much agreed with me because New England was a pretty solid minus three hosting Miami week one. Now they're laying 2.75. So the market said, eh, you know, we'd rather Cam was starting, but the markets didn't have the information that clearly all was not kosher or great with Cam in New England. So you think Mac Jones, right now you would rate him as the worst starting quarterback in the NFL? Yes, but it's really close. I've got him a minus two. So if he's two points better than what I thought he was, he becomes Big Ben or Burrow and becomes an average NFL quarterback. Okay. And I asked you yesterday, I said, what, what's a reasonable expectation for his QBR? And I, what do we agree on? 53 and a half, something like that was 26th. You know, I don't like to use the 53s because it used to be QBR used to be zero to 150 was average. And it's gotten so inflated mm-hmm. that I just look at quarterback rankings. And I think right around 26 and a half would be 
I, I think a good over under. Would you go over or under twenty six and a half? If he doesn't qualify, you, you lose. He he goes I think under. He, I think he's better than twenty six and a half. Very good. And I I thought I think that Cam was overvalued to begin with. Mm-hmm. Where did you have Cam before? Twenty seventh. Yeah. Uh, so I don't think maybe, maybe you didn't overvalue him, but I think it feels like most people thought more highly of Cam, but the the numbers on Cam for the last several years since his MVP season are below average. He's I, a below I, average starter in the NFL. I think what we can conclude is Cam is better than what he's shown because he's been injured, but with the shoulder injuries and the leg injuries mounting, is he always going to be injured, and is this really what Cam is going to be for the rest of his career? Mackenzie, what do you think of the 26-and-a-half over-under? Would you go over-under Mac Jones? With the Patriots and with McDaniels making the calls, I would go under I think they're going to get him in the right places. He's going to be better than 26 and a half. I think we see, I don't think Belichick would put him in a position to fail. I think we're going to see a run heavy offense from the Patriots. Uh, I I think it's going to be similar to when Matt Castle or Jimmy Garoppolo started games for the Patriots in short stints until Mac Jones gets comfortable. But I think it's going to be a run heavy ball control type offense, make things simple on him, short passes, Use those tight ends that they brought in. I think that they are they're going I think I trust Belichick more than anybody else to help a young quarterback to succeed. My final thought on New England, interesting that the markets downgraded them for this move for week one, but they did not downgrade them for the season. Their season win number, Mackenzie can double check this, I believe nine and a half before this news, still sitting at nine and a half, correct? That is correct. Pat's now plus or minus three even money. So I, I, I'm glad I got in at minus two and a half and, you know, when this news broke, because I said, I didn't think there was a downgrade. So mm-hmm. now it's, it was two and a half for a little while. Now it's back up to three. Uh, what's, what's the right number in your mind for that opening day game? Three. Okay. Yes. I laid two and a half as well. I would rather have had cam, but I'm, I'm still comfortable laying the two and a half. Would you rather lay two and a half with Mac Jones or three with cam? Late two and a half. You know, it, so, it, it's yeah. like with 10% of the time, a game landing right on the number three, It's it takes a huge downgrade to make me give up that half point because yeah. that's worth 20 cents on the line. So essentially, you're ask, a good way to ask is, oh, two and a half or three, it's not that much different. It's almost like asking me, would I rather lay minus two and a half, lay a dollar 30 or lay a dollar 10, you know, comparing the two. Uh, other news going on in the NFL, the New Orleans Saints will not play their first home game at home. Hurricane Ida has moved it to Jacksonville. Uh, Jacksonville on the road week one. They say, hey, you can use our stadium. So they've got a place to play, which is good. Uh, but the Saints go from being three-point home dogs, uh, and it kind of ticked up to around three and a half when the hurricane started approaching, maybe in in preparation for this. You know, I actually saw it o- only when Ida was like the eye was going to go over New Orleans or or within shouting distance. And that's of when it. the number. That's when it up. went to three and a half. Yes. Well, now it's at four and a half, and it's four and a half minus minus one fifteen. So it's it's basically what four point seven five is what we would call that, and what's the right number in your mind? What's the right adjustment and how, how huge of an adjustment it's not, it's obviously more than 1.75 when you count it moving off the three, how big of an adjustment is it? And is it the right move? Yeah. So let's do the math on home field advantage. Most teams we feel are going to be two and a half this year. RJ brought up the great point that the first home game 
rather the opponent's first road game, it's going to be a probably bigger, especially with the loud venues because there weren't any crowds last year. So teams like New Orleans, it's going to be a shock to the opponent's system to have that really um, noisy stadium. That won't be the case in and the Jacksonville. Saints are, I think the Saints are one of the few teams that's a full three still anyway. I agree. So we give, we'll give New Orleans three for home field. So why is, even if this thing went to five, it's, you could say, oh, it's only moved two points. Where Are we wrong about this home field? No, because we were on three to start out. And so moving off of a three, that's like moving – a half move off of a three is like moving a point and a half. Why? Well, I just said on or off the three is worth 20 cents. A typical average point spread in the NFL, say a six, it's worth about seven cents to go on or off it. Would you rather lay six minus 17? I'm sorry, six minus 10? Or would you rather lay five and a half minus 117? I'm, I'm pretty indifferent. So 20 cents about three times as big. So three to three and a half, that's like a one and a half point move. Another one and a half point move to five. The math says if the Saints have a three-point home edge, this line should be five in Jacksonville. Uh, I I tend to agree. I think that the, the Saints, this is a, a huge blow to them. All this happened. The Saints have enough stacked against them to begin with. The Saints have a, an unsettled and maybe a quarterback position that no matter which side they would have decided – it wouldn't have felt great. It feels kind of like Denver's quarterback situation. Like whoever wins that they're the, okay, well they won, but that doesn't make you feel better. Uh, And now this happening, New Orleans is a team that we talked about last week when we did the South previews that none of us were particularly high on you. We ended up going Carolina under was our consensus, but you were the outlier. You were the one who said if you had to pick one under in the South, it was New Orleans. Yes, and one more point to, to put a bow on the quarterbacks. These are not just um, – all the teams are going to struggle, but R.J. brought up the great point. Rookie quarterbacks, and I love this point he made, and second-year quarterbacks could have a real problem because they got a free pass last year. So you look at a guy like Tua. McKenzie brought up the great point in production that uh, he hasn't faced a loud opponent since the 2019 Iron Bowl at Auburn, November 2019. So going to be possibly a lot of um, quarterbacks struggling. I laid out the case for why I didn't like New Orleans when we talked about the South team. So you can go back and listen to that. I already like them under. Well, now I love New Orleans under nine wins, bet against New Orleans. Uh, Look at the adjustment in the lines. I went back to the Westgate lines four months ago. And four months ago, New Orleans was laying three against Green Bay. We didn't know if Rodgers was going to play the Jeopardy game or play football. That game alone, with Green Bay now laying five, New Orleans lost a .3 of a win just from that game. So when I summed up the win shares based upon the Westgate lines that were in play in the spring, it summed to 9.2 wins. Boom. That one game, it's down to 8.9. That's without making any other adjustments. And other adjustments are going to come to games Um, As well, there's going to be the distraction associated with practicing in Texas. There's going to be the lack of preseason prep with only two preseason games. Third one got canceled. There is going to be the excessive travel that's going to be associated with. So it doesn't just hurt you on these road games when they finally start playing at home, whether it be week four against the Giants, whether this doesn't happen until week eight, because the talk has been that even though the Superdome's ready to go, the people that are staffing it and the like, the workers without power, just it's going to be a logistic nightmare and they're probably not going to be able to do it week four. But those games 
Um, the team is going to be compromised if they're not playing in New Orleans, even if they are that extra travel. This is a team that already had nine road games. Now we're looking at 10 for certain, could be 11 in Katrina 2005, much bigger devastation, sure. obviously. 3-13, and 13, they never were right, be it the Alamo Dome, Baton Rouge, or Buffalo, regardless of where they played. I think this team is really up against it. You can listen to my previous reasons why I didn't like New Orleans. So I'm betting against New Orleans. RJ talk, and I spoke about the derivatives, and we concluded, you know what? New Orleans to miss the playoffs. We think this is a better bet. The no on the playoffs, minus 140. The reason is the VIG... It's about the same. Ten cents difference. Ten right? cent difference. If New Orleans wins eight, eh, you, you're going to win your under nine, but you're going to win your no playoffs. They're not making the playoffs at eight. If they win 10, you would have lost your season win bet. You might well get lucky and have them miss the playoffs. Not, there's a chance, maybe 15%. But the key is nine. What happens if New Orleans wins nine games? And I really feel with the 17-game schedule, I get it, the Bears made the playoffs. You brought up that great point before in production that, uh, hey, a team made it with a 500 record. But I still think you're an underdog. You go 9-8, and are you optimistic about your chances of making the playoffs? I estimated at one-third. Would you agree with that number? That's probably close. So... If, if, if they win nine, I win my bet two-thirds of the times. I don't want to push. I'll take my yeah. chances, even though I might lose. Maybe they, they win nine and win the tiebreak and get in. Yeah, you, we discussed this last night, and I, I kind of thought the other side seemed like the, the safer play, which it probably is the safer play. It is play. a little, yes. Because but the, the more the more long-term profitable play is taking the, the missed the playoffs prop. Exactly right. So You guys are less risk-averse than I am. So I'm going to best bet, I'm going to, Alter my best bet slightly. Initially, I was going to say New Orleans under nine. I'm going to go no playoffs for most of my bet, minus 140, and then a little bit under nine, minus 130 for an alternative bet as well. Two best bets fading the New Orleans Saints. And the Saints play the Patriots, the two teams we've been talking about. They play in week three, and you have a monster call on that game. Yeah, stay tuned for that. We'll have a best bet on this in the best bet section, which and we have best bets from Diamond Dave Essler and the one, the only. The Hitman. Yes, sir. All right, and we'll have some college talk at the end of the pod, too, but let's get into... So here, here's what we did yesterday. We, we kind of grouped the Niners, the Rams, and the Seahawks into one discussion, and honestly, I think it was one of the, the smarter things that we did because... It's worth comparing the three. They're all very close. 10.4 wins for the Niners, 10.3 for the Rams, 10.0 for the Seahawks. So every, I mean, these these three teams are separated by less than a half win. Uh, and the division odds, plus 195, plus 205, and plus 275 for the Seahawks. So the Seahawks, a little bit of a dog there. But uh, I, I think that these three teams, I mean, there's no doubt we look at these three teams coming in as all three teams who have a good shot of making the playoffs. Maybe we think we would maybe assume the NFC West is a three playoff team division. Oh, not so fast, my friend. So um, Mackenzie, can you pull up the uh, Seattle probability of making the playoffs? The yes, no. I've got it right here. Oh, Minus 130, yes. Plus 110, no. Interesting. I would bet no in the plus. My, I stand corrected. I'm wrong then. So we've got a, the Niners are minus 185, uh, Rams minus 190, and Seahawks minus All right, you're right, and I'm wrong. That's outstanding that all three teams are indeed favored yeah. to make the playoffs. 55% uh, or better, all three of them to make it. I made the case that the Rams and San Francisco have a lot of similarities, all right? And the similarities are these teams are loaded to start the year. 
Now, the Rams' weakness is that they have no depth, and they're so reliant upon key players. So if they go ahead and lose any of those key players, should they lose their quarterback? Should they lose Donald? Should they lose Ramsey? Uh-oh. Those are the three guys. Yes. This is a team that's really going to have trouble weathering that. You know, And they've got the two really good wide receivers instead of three, as yep. they've had in previous years. So they're not as deep at wide receiver. They've already had the injury at running back with Cam Akers. Sony Michelle is not as good as Cam Akers. So, but, they, but they're fine right now, as long as they don't have another running back injury. The... My take on this yesterday was, I, while I agree, and RJ took the same side, those three guys, obviously very key guys, those are three pretty durable guys. Like Matt Stafford last year was the first time he's ever missed games in mm-hmm. his career. He's a notoriously durable player. Aaron Donald seems to be hurt all the time, and he plays. Uh, you know, Jalen Ramsey is a tough guy. So while I understand that if one of those guys were to miss time, it's huge, it seems like the likelihood that one will we have to factor in that they're it's a, they're guys who historically have been durable. Yes, and it really comes down to well, if you're looking at this as at a ten and a half, are they going to go over? If they stay healthy, I think it's a slam dunk they're going to go over, and it's all about the health of the team. Maybe they might not come out of the gates great because they didn't play hard at all in the preseason. And with the brand-new quarterback with Stafford, it might take a little while. But I think this is a team I want to generally bet on Later in late in September, early October. Whereas the 49ers, they are, like you said, a similar team. Uh, and we talked about the drop-off. If if Garoppolo were to get hurt, none of us besides uh, McKenzie trust Trey Lance to play quarterback this season. So well, he we, has a Trey Lance fathead. Right. You know, in your better. That's correct, right, McKenzie? I actually took it off my wall. I just hold it at night. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's attached it to a pillow. Uh, but I, I and the fact that Jimmy Garoppolo is notoriously fragile is a concern. The best weapon that they have offensively, George Kittle, missed half the season with injury last year, missed time the year before. So to me, if, if we're talking about the durability of players, the 49ers worry me more because they have a history of breaking. They have a guy. They have guys, who, and, and that's the way it is in the NFL. If you start to break, those are the guys who break again and again and again. Guys who are Russell Wilson doesn't miss games because he just it's never happened. So you feel safe saying Russell Wilson's going to play 16 games. So you would agree with me, similar to the Rams. I want to, when I'm betting the Niners, I want to bet them earlier in the year. Yeah, the Niners. I don't. I don't know if we'll be able to find stats on this. And I know you're a big advantage teaser guy. The Niners week one will be probably in everybody's teaser. They're, they're seven and a half against Detroit. So you're going to be able to take teaser the Niners the three, to one and a half. Through the seven, the, the, the quarter. Now, historically, when you're playing a teaser, if you did nothing but tease a home team favored by seven and a half, eight or eight and a half down through the three through seven corridor, that's a moneymaker. Minus a dollar ten, minus a dollar twenty. Most teasers right now are minus a dollar twenty. The six point teasers, it's closer. But if you played them on visiting favorites, there's more variance. They lose more often, so it hasn't been as profitable. But you're right. Every single every single ticket. Let me let me just fast if people forward. People put together a teaser. I want the Bucks. 
<laughs> and I want the Niners, and they just have to win. Oh, and if it's a three-team teaser, I want the Rams, right, uh, guys, against the guys, Bears. I'm, I'm sorry, but you're stepping on my best bet for week one that I haven't given out yet, so, you know, calm down with all the teasers. Yeah, Bucks and Niners are going to win. I'm, I'm sure of it. It's a lock. All right. Um, let me go ahead and throw out a game that stands out to me with the Niners. So I want to bet the Niners early in the year, and one certainly looks very tasty to me. I don't think there's any hurry they have to bet this. I think you'll get the same line come week two. It is the Niners laying four at Philadelphia. Why do I like this game? History repeats itself. 2019, the Niners start fast. Uh, they win easily week one. They spend the week in Youngstown, Ohio, and then they kill the Cincinnati Bengals. Last year, early in the year, weeks two and three, they're playing the Jets and the Giants. They stay back east. They stay in West Virginia at the um, the Greenbrier, and they whack the Giants. Des- despite having a bunch of injuries week two, they take care of business. Giants were injured as well, but they win by almost 30. So now what's happening? They're staying at the Greenbrier again this year after they beat the Lions, which is a lock, as McKenzie says. And I really, really like the fact that they can stay there. And now the game's in, you know, right down the the road there at Philadelphia. Great spot uh, in terms of a great situation that has repeated itself and a team that's been able to bond with a second camp, if you will, or in the year for the third straight year. So Niners at Philly certainly looks attractive to me. Yeah, I, I don't disagree. Well, that's assuming Jimmy Garoppolo survives week one. <laughs> yes. Because I don't want any part of the 49ers if he's not out there week one, which leads to – and let's, let's, keep, let's brush up on the Seahawks just a bit. They're a little bit of a different story because uh, – well, I mean, the Seahawks, you could, argue, you could make an argument. They're maybe right there with Kansas City is most reliant on a single player for their success – uh, like if you if you remove Russell Wilson, that may be outside of Patrick Mahomes the biggest deal, right? Uh, tied for third. Um, yeah. Whoa, Geno Smith, the backup quarterback. Uh, Rogers still with Jordan Love struggling. Okay. Rogers is is still right there with Mahomes because Jordan Love, I've just got it rated so lowly. But uh, absolutely third, six but, and a half points. But like I said, Russell Wilson, he's on the field. Historically, he's been on the field. Their defense has issues. Uh, they they are not all addressed. They ha- they need to find a running game. And and RJ's big his big take on Russell Wilson is is Russell Wilson what we saw the last eight games of the season. And if you look at Russell Wilson's season last year, if you, if you don't bother to look at the first eight games versus the last eight games, where he was basically locked to be the MVP in the first half of the season, and he was a disaster in the second half. He finished the season very respectably. So if you just put it all in a vacuum and say this is what his season was, you go, nothing to worry about. But the last eight games, he was bad. Yeah, and, and, and McKenzie did some research, um, reached out to some uh, Twitter followers that he can, uh, and one of them came, got back to him. And McKenzie, they concluded that the, the, the planned rushes for Russell Wilson's second half of the year, I'm sorry, throughout the year, went down dramatically by uh, almost 50%, correct? Yeah, since 2018 when he had 22 designed runs, only 12 last year. You mentioned it shot up to Tej Seth, Tej FB Analytics on Twitter. I know he's an intern at PFF, wished him all the best. I asked him, he had these ready lined up designed versus scrambled runs. If you look at Russell Wilson's scrambles, they've almost doubled 
the last two years. From 2018, it was 29, 53 scrambles last year. For whatever reason, he's creating more off script. And I mentioned that uh, I was a little bit, I love Metcalf. And I was worried about Lockett. I said, Lockett's getting a little old of tooth. He's not even 30 yet. And RJ looked at me and he's like, well, Russell Wilson's 32. If you're worried about Lockett, I would, I would worry about Russell Wilson, his wheels slowing down as well. I thought that was a real good point. But the difference is Tyler Lockett, a guy who relies on his speed. Russell Wilson, if Russell Wilson was slow, he would still be a solid. Like, he's a good enough passer. He's a good enough – he's good enough at, at, you know, figuring out what the defense has given him working through progressions, he could be a valuable quarterback even if he weren't a, a mobile quarterback. I think, obviously, as, as his mobility declines, his game declines, but I think he's still a viable, you know, solid starter, even if he's if he is slower. Yes, and, you know, the bottom line is, this is an easy comparison, the Rams and the 49ers have really good defenses. Seattle doesn't. So, and if you look at the O-line and the receivers – the Rams and San Francisco Football Outsiders has both ranked for the Rams and the 49ers just inside the top 10, 8th and ninth. Seattle, their rankings for their um, O-line is 19th. So they have a, Seattle has a much more suspect O-line. The receivers are not quite as good. So the defense is not as good by any stretch of the imagination. These teams aren't even in the same category. Russell Wilson has to be great for us to go ahead and say that these teams would belong in the same tier, which they're roughly priced as. Um, one thing that, two things that Seattle we did I uncover, or I mentioned, was that home field advantage with crowd noise puts Seattle at the very top, along with Green Bay, which is more their playing surface conditions, and uh, the Domes, New Orleans, and Minnesota. In terms of home field, I would put Seattle right there at number one. So that's a big plus, getting the crowd back for them. Secondly, that defense, which is suspect, got much better the last uh, two months of the year. Jamal Adams was out all of October, and they can blitz him. He's a safety, does a lot that really helps the defense. It doesn't necessarily translate to stats. And they got the acquisition from Dunlap from Cincinnati. He wasn't there the entire year. So when those two dudes, Adams and Dunlap, were on the team, defense last seven regular season games held their opponents to 23 or fewer points. Quite good, below league average. Even in the playoffs, I know they gave up 30. I think Russell threw a pick six in that game. So the defense did indeed hold the Rams below uh to, to that 23 as well. So as I look at the standings from last year, I, I, I see these three teams. The, the Seahawks won 12 games. Their number's 10. We're saying in a year where Russell Wilson was bad for half of the season, they won two and a half games more than they were expected to last year. They were Their, their win total was nine and a half. They, they, they ended up exceeding that by two and a half games. So unless he's that bad the whole season, I find it hard to, to say that this is an underplay. I know that's – and mm -hmm. by the way, spoiler alert, that's what we decided on. But I, I was – Fez and RJ voted on Seattle being the under team in this division. I just think that it, for them to go under 10, for them to be three games worse than they were a year ago, a lot has to go wrong. That 12-4, and four, though, was an aberration, real good record in close games – uh, eight and three. So if you look at that, if you look at win shares, you could argue they should have won 11, maybe only 10 oh, because of because of that. So a little bit inflated, but it's a great point. I mean, and, they got 
Sorry, and Fez, on that point, we do this new pregame zone proprietary fourth quarter weighted win share analysis, which is saying what is your average win percentage in the fourth quarter weighted more towards the end of the game. That was almost exactly what you're saying, Fez. 10.9 is how many of these, how many wins the Seahawks should have had a season ago. So, you know, the bottom line is we would love to just all line up like ducks and say that, hey, we all love this bet. And in fact, my best bet, we all do love my best bet. But there's cases to be made, overs and unders. It was a close call. As AJ mentioned, this is our best bet in the NFC because we, we want to have one under for a full unit. And I also made the case the NFC is the conference you want to be playing unders in. Why? Because the overall average of all the teams in the NFL is 8.6. It should be 8.45. 17 games, divide by two, eight and a half wins per team. Could be ties. Every year there's approximately one. Should be at 8.45. So all basically all these lines should be skewed a little bit to the under. No, they're skewed to the over. If you played every NFC team to go under... I think you'll make money because they've got, they're the teams that have nine road games. Yeah. And all the strength of schedules you're reading from all the math analytic geeks have one mistake. They're computing, they're saying, all right, here are my 17 opponents. Here's how good those 17 opponents are. And they're taking a weighted average of all these games without factoring in the fact that the MC gets screwed having to play one extra road game. So because of that, um, I want to play unders. Rams and San Francisco, I'm bullish on to start the year. That's why I landed on Seattle under. Let me make one more case. And I, again, we're not changing history, so the, the vote's been made. Seattle, since Russell Wilson has been there, since 2012, has won less than 10 games one time. Mm-hmm. They've missed the playoffs one time. And in that year, they went 9-7. and seven. With an extra game, who knows? They, they may win 10 I just think betting under 10 wins in a 17-game season on Russell Wilson, do it at your own risk because this guy constantly goes out there and wins 10 games. Fair enough. So we've been talking about the three elite teams in the division, and we land on one under with Seattle. That kind of by my, – My vote for the under was San Francisco because I think mm-hmm. that they're – just like last year, the, the team that is most likely to be injured – we see the drop off with injury, and they they're a bad team when they were banged up. They and were the most injured team, and what's amazing is on offense and defense, both of them were top two in terms of injuries. So the D line got decimated. The offense had all kinds of injuries: quarterback, um, you know, tight end, stud tight end, uh, line, Bosa. Yep. Do, I mean, do we think that ten and a half is a safe number for the Niners if Jimmy Garoppolo misses more than two games? No. So we're betting that a guy who's missed half the games he started in his career is going to be healthy. That's why we're not be- that's why we're not betting it at all, and that's why um, we don't have any overs. And I, if, if I had my druthers, I wouldn't have bet any overs. However, we have to have one. Let's talk about Arizona. Yeah, Arizona eight and a half is the win total. Forty five to one to win the Super Bowl, plus five seventy five to win the division. I made the case yesterday. They. They did, and I, I guess I, I uh, kind of empowered RJ, who got really excited about it. They did make some changes on the defensive side. They 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 went out and they improved their team this offseason. And the jump that Kyler Murray made from year one to year two, if he makes a similar jump year two to year three, I think Arizona's an over team. I just think that what we've seen so far from Arizona and Kingsbury – that may be what their that may be their ceiling, uh, and in a division where I think they are the fourth best team, 
I think it's like if if you're the worst team in your division, to me, it's hard to go over 500. Yes, like, and and that's what you're betting here that the the Cardinals, the worst team in their division, are going to go over 500. Some different stats on Murray. If I looked at QBR, he's 15th and 14th the last two years. Not much improvement. Um, in terms of the ranking, but if you look at some of the pro football focus numbers and the like, he shows significant improvement. And I, I really think if you want to bet Arizona, you have to ask yourself this. Towards the second half of the year, the last third of the year, Murray started playing poorly compared to the, the, the first two-thirds. He was injured. He stopped running the ball. And he played against the Patriots, who oftentimes only rushed two defensive linemen, Drop back in dime packages, put in a whole bunch of quick, fast, small guys on defense, and Arizona couldn't do anything. And copycat league, a whole bunch of other teams started to employ those types of sets, at least during part of the games, and Murray struggled the last third of the year. So was it Belichick figuring him out and giving you the answer key? Or was it just, well, Murray was banged up and he won't be anymore? If you can answer that question, I think you go a long way whether you want to bet over or under, uh, RJ... Sounds a lot like Seattle. RJ brought up a great point. I love this. He made the case that if you're only going to play New England once every four years and you have a brand-new quarterback, should you sit him? Don't play him at all because Belichick and the Patriots are going to expose his weaknesses for the entire league to show you how to beat your team. So why even allow it? I used the chess a chess example. I used to play competitive chess. I was a state runner-up in high school. And the very best chess player in the state, who actually drew in the state championship, um, David Glick, I would not play my best openings against him because I only knew, like, one set of openings, and I was scared to death. Oh, my God, he's going to show everyone how to beat me because I have no idea how to handle certain combination of moves against my dragon, Sicilian. So because of that, it's like the same sort of thing. Do you really want your team to be exposed for its weaknesses and deep pants, so to speak, when you play New England only once every four years. Maybe not the best. But we did discuss they were one game over 500 at the time. They went two and two afterwards. So they, they, were, they were about a 500 team last year regardless. I, I just don't know if, how much room for improvement there is. And, you know, I, I was hearing, like, you, you can tell me if I'm wrong on this. I keep hearing that Cliff Kingsbury is on the hot seat. Oh, yeah, he is. Well, I mean, didn't they draft Kyler Murray to fit Kingsbury's system? Do we think that Kyler Murray, who's run an air raid his entire career, is suddenly going to thrive under some new, different offense? They can always bring the Washington State guy. In, uh, I, right? mean, I mean, <laughs> I'm sorry. What's his name? You know, the the, the ex- Mike Leach. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, arguably the most eccentric guy in the history of uh, coaching. Um, but I mean, there's other guys who could run the area, and you just need an OC that needs that can run it, right? And you can get bring in a defensive coach, right? But I mean, that I mean, you're you're going to fire a coach and bring in another coach that runs basically the same system. Yes, when your coach can only be Kansas. And I'll tell you this: pursuant to that, you look at the schedule last year. The Arizona went six and two against the Eastern Conference divisions. So he got when they went four and zero, beating up on the Eagles and the Cowboys and company. And they went 2-2 two and two against the AFC East, which included the Hale Murray pass against Buffalo. So they easily could have been, um, the record could have been worse there in Division 2 and 4. And their field games, they got, they got the, a, a big break. They got to play Carolina and Detroit on their two field games. I don't know if they were 
a last place team the year before they must have been, and they went 0-2 in those two games. So if you go 0-2 against these guys, how are you going to do when you get dealt a harder schedule? That's a big negative. I, I mean, they're the worst team in the division. 3-3 three and three would be a massive overachievement. I tell you this, they better win their two games that they're big favorites in, Houston and at Detroit, or there's no way this team is going to get to nine wins. Uh, what's your... McKenzie, if we were to ask you for your favorite over and under in this division, where are you at? I like Arizona over, and I think I would go Seattle under. Okay. So, so that was the consensus. That was the consensus. So I was I, outvoted. I liked Arizona under, and everyone else was bullish on them. So that's that's our play, right? Arizona over. That is Kingsbury number three on first coach fired odds, according to uh, McKenzie. So, by the way, I didn't just create those odds and take bets on them. That's bet online. Oh, I thought that was your number. Well, that would have been a lot better. All right, let's move on to the AFC where there's a clear favorite. The Chiefs minus 320 to win the division. Uh, Win total 12.4 for the purposes of this podcast. We'll say 12.5. And And, uh, 5-1 to to win the Super Bowl. The favorites to win the Super Bowl. And we had some discussion yesterday if they should be the favorites uh, versus Tampa. Even I mean, Tampa did everything right in that game, proved they were the better team. I don't think anybody felt like it was a fluke game. We were debating if we go back in our time machine and we um, when they re- we replay the game. We don't play it again with the players knowing what happened. We just replay it. Given those circumstances, Tampa is the clear-cut significant favorite. I don't know if it's minus three with the O-line problems for Kansas City. If you patch the O-line back to healthy – now we can have a nice discussion who should have been favored in that game. And part of our discussion yesterday on the O-line is they may have better players on the O-line this year, but no continuity uh, compared to last season. In fact, McKenzie, explain our uh, our offensive line theory and and how Kansas City is sort of an outlier when it comes to, uh, to, to offensive line continuity. Yes, they're the least offensive continuitous team that we've tracked in this five-year database that we're creating. So to start at the beginning, we're tracking O-line retained. And shout out to Thomas Emmerich. We traded some information for this. Uh, shout out to Rotoviz. And we also... We so traded we have, Spencer, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. Gone. They have Spencer now. And we have peace of mind. For the database to be named later. <laughs> Seasonal key performance indicators is our, is our going what we're going with. So we have how many offensive linemen did they retain? Simple number, one through five. To improve upon that, we said, well, if you lose a center, that's like losing an extra half lineman. So minus one and a half. And if you lose a top offensive lineman, so top 32 in the entire league, guard, tackle, center, all the same, then we give you another minus one. And we have the new, what we call adjusted O-line retained. So long story short, no one's been negative before, except for these Chiefs, first team ever. They have one of their five offensive linemen retaining, They have a new center, and they lost one of those top 32 guys in Eric Fisher. If you look at at teams over the last five years with less than two and a half returning adjusted offensive linemen, those teams lose against expectations by one win per season, negative one. They're supposed to win nine. They win eight on average. RJ had a great filter thinking, well, there's going to be a lot of terrible teams in there, a lot of complete rebuilds. Let's throw that out. Let's look at season win totals above nine and a half the last five years among these teams with less than two and a half adjusted returning linemen. Those teams, there's been seven of them, all seven lost to the season win total by an average of two and a half games over the last five years. The Chiefs are in a very specific, very bad 
bucket of recent NFL teams. So to summarize, I'm a team that's projected to have a, a, a solid winning year. I have only two or fewer of my linemen coming back, adjusted for how good they are in the center. I go under by over two games on average, correct? Last five years, that has been the case, true. Well, and there's two teams in this division that fit that. Yeah, and, uh, one, and, and one other point, this was interesting to me. I would initially I said, oh, well, if, if under two and a half is bad, one is worse and zero is terrible. But it turns out, McKenzie, a zero or a one is a little bit too obvious, and the betting marketplace notices it more, correct? Yeah, exactly. When, when we found that, that's when RJ said, well, let's eliminate the bad teams, look at win totals above nine and a half. And very few of those teams, only seven, but they've all done badly. So Kansas City qualifies as I don't think we go against this trend. I don't think we we can that we have to play like the good team under. We have to look to play that that doesn't have the continuity. But another team falls in this. Bucket. Well, I, I I think we all agreed that Kansas City was a team that none of us wanted to play over at twelve yes. and a half. It does it doesn't make sense. They're much like the 49ers and the Rams, heavily reliant on the health of two or three players. Uh, Travis Kelsey, Tyreek Hill, Patrick Mahomes. Now, Patrick Mahomes is Gumby Superman. Like, you, you can't hurt. The, I've seen his leg get twisted around, and he just gets up and walks. Uh, Tyreek Hill is a guy played, who, who, played half it, a season with a prosthetic leg, and yeah. they won the Super Bowl, yes. He can get banged up. Uh, but they're very reliant on those three guys. I, at 12 and a half, the, the, it's either a pass or under for me. And we talked the, about the point spread tax. Everyone talks about, well, the Chiefs weren't playing very well at the end of the year, and they they just flipped the switch and lucked out to win some games. Well, they still won at New Orleans by three, at Miami by six, and at Tampa by three. So you, you, you can make the case the point spread tax just got so onerous, but then you can say, well, 12 and a half is a pretty big tax on a season win number. We also, I thought, was, it was a real good point that most people perceive um, Kelsey and the Cheetah, Tyreek Hill, to be about of equal importance. RJ thinks Tyreek Hill could well be the most valuable non-quarterback in the league. And I, I love his point, namely he stretches the field so much for everyone else. And with the other wide receivers now, Hardman, Pringle, and whoever the heck I can't remember um, else they have, Robinson. The, Robinson. The Swiss family Robinsons. They, uh, I think we played all those guys under in the Super Bowl. Pringle got a catch on the first play, was not seen from after, uh, went under one and a half. So bottom line is, uh, here's a team that if the cheetah goes down, they're in big trouble. Almost all of their games are lined between minus four and a half and minus ten. The only outliers... The the week two against Baltimore is a pick'em. Uh, week fourteen at the or, or at home against the Raiders is ten and a half, and then week eighteen with Denver is minus three. But that's week eighteen. Everyone assumes the Kansas City Chiefs will be in the playoffs, so no one wants to put a big number there because most power ratings would have the Chiefs more than three point favorites against Denver. So their their totals are pretty. I mean, they're they're pretty solidly in in this same group. Their their sides are of that four and a half to ten range, and like I said, not an underdog in a single game this year. And one thing that I had trepidation about playing Kansas City under because my take has been all these teams lined at eleven and a half wins or higher. Historically, like back in the nineteen nineties, those were great teams to play under. Parity in the NFL, the parity has disappeared. Look at the New England Patriots. They win 12 games with Brady each and every year. They go over every year. These these teams projected to to win the division 
by margin, have been doing so. I don't want to go against that. Well, we talked about how hard it is for the Cardinals being the clear worst team in their division to go over. The Chiefs were the only team in their division with a winning record last year. When that's the case, your number's high. Yeah, you, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean, and last time I checked, here's a team that should have gone to three straight Super Bowls if D four doesn't jump offsides against arguably the greatest dynasty we've ever seen. They had the Patriots, yeah. virtually beaten. Um, they did have them beaten, if, if not for that penalty. So, so here's the here's the warning on the Chiefs, though. You're asking them to lose two more games than they did last year with an extra game on the schedule. Yes. I'm not saying that again. I, w- I wouldn't play the over, but I'm not rushing to play the under on them either. So let's pass. Let's talk about the other team with the uh, shift in the O line, the Chargers. The Chargers nine and a half win total, plus five thirty five to win the division, thirty to one to win the Super Bowl. They are the eleventh favorite. A lot of offensive line turnover, like you said. You could argue that they needed it. They they drafted a uh, they drafted a tackle out of Northwestern in the first round. They 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 went out and said we're gonna we're gonna make a. Uh, it, it, we're going to make a concerted effort to improve the offensive line. They had to. They get Lindsley from from the Packers, so they've got a new center now. They've got a new tackle. Things are looking up for them. Here's the question. Was what we saw from Justin Herbert, and I asked yesterday, if you were to list the five quarterbacks in the league most likely to have regression from last year, Justin Herbert has to be one of them, right? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, Rodgers is not going to repeat his MVP-style year. Josh Allen's probably not going to be as good, but you, you have to go ahead and, and He's in that conversation. put Herbert in there. As he, well. And as great as he was last year, when you have a great rookie season, the NFL adjusts you. They, they, they figure it out. They're not going to let you. I mean, unless, and this is maybe part of the bet, unless you think Justin Herbert is the next Patrick Mahomes, then maybe the league doesn't adjust to you. But it, it, it's almost a, a, a it's like being a runner and saying every 10k I'm going to run faster. Well, that it, works for like three or four of them, and then inevitably there there hits a point. Yes, where after your personal best, you're you're going you're to come back down. So as I, good as the Chargers were, they won seven. As Her- Herbert was they won seven games last year. And of course, Anthony Lynn is the master at finding ways to lose close games and lose games that you're up double digits in. You know, by the way, I, I, if I see one more coach with like under 40 seconds left on his own 16, hand the ball off to try to get a running back five yards instead of just taking a knee, I think I will lose my mind. Well, they don't have to worry about him anymore. No, they don't. <laughs> so the Chargers will probably be better in close games, but the strength of schedule went from. Uh, easy schedule to the ninth hardest schedule, so that's a big negative for the Chargers. And and something that no one's talking about, L.A. hates the Chargers. They're losers. They're nomads. Um, they have zero support. Do you think that changes with Herbert? No, um, it, because teams that teams root for the team that they like. I think people in L.A. particularly root for stars, and if Justin Herbert has more of what we saw last year, he's going to be a star in the league. That's something that, I mean, even mm. if Phillip Rivers was a star, like by NFL standards, he had no L.A. to him at all. Even when the Lakers are bad and the Clippers are good, it's still a Laker town. And 
if I and when you look at LA, think about it. LA already has two football teams. They already have the Raiders and the Rams. There's no room, and it's not like Justin Herbert is Madonna after no. all. I mean, he's, he's not a, Joe it's Burrow. A, it's he, a nice. I mean, he's a nice little story so far, but it's not like he has this cult following. So the bottom line is COVID. The um, the pandemic was really good for the Chargers because they didn't have. Fan, fans in their stadium or in other stadiums, and those fans wouldn't be rooting for them. They'd be rooting against them. And now we got Herbert has to deal with crowd noise in all of his games, all 17 of them, people betting and rooting against him. I think we uh, were we consensus that this was our favorite underplay. This uh, is it, our best bet. Chargers yeah. under, yes. Chargers under nine and a half. If we assume that Justin Herbert's going to regress, they went from seven wins last year. We're asking them to win 10 this year with regression from QB. Keenan Allen, what is he, 50? Something like that. And kind of underreported, they, they lose Melvin Ingram, and now you've got one great pass rusher instead of two. That's 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 not a nothing, you know? It, but part of what makes Bosa so great is there's another guy there yeah. to, to, yeah, that's a good to help point. him out. So. Uh, it's kind of like when people always hate in Houston, people would always talk about how how worthless Jadavian Clowney was. But what he did was he freed up J.J. Watt to do a lot of stuff. When he played. When he played. Uh, but it's when you've got that other threat, it it helps out the guy. They still have Merciless? Oh, he's terrible. <laughs> he is a, he's, he's a negative player. He, a- another I mean, guy a, probably that benefited from having these other two guys on the field. With yes, yeah. and a guy who benefited from getting a bad contract from Bill O'Brien, who was handing him out like candy. <laughs> yeah. uh, all right, the Denver Broncos, who were a team that we have a lot of uh, differing opinions on at this roundtable last night. We'll go ahead and say it. The Broncos were the team that got voted as the over uh, in this division, although I don't know that we really loved any of these overs, but – I was I'm firmly against the Broncos as an over team. I think the fact that they've moved from seven and a half to eight and a half in the course of this offseason is wacky to me. Yeah, Blue Horseshoe loves the Denver Broncos, meaning everyone is buying them. Mackenzie, you had a good stat about how much uh, an under the radar hype this Bronco team has taken in terms of money, right? Yes, going back to my labor of love, the seasonal key performance indicator database. Last five years, the highest win total change for any team, 192 teams. No one's been upgraded more than the Denver Broncos. 7.4 when we first tracked it, 7.8.6 right now. 1.2 wins upgrade for the Denver Broncos. And, and the high was nine when, yes. when people thought they were going to get Aaron Rodgers. Yes. Yeah, so now the Aaron Rodgers is completely irrelevant. Throw that out the door. It's, it, it's not a factor anymore. But then adjust all the way back. Yes. And so 7.4 to 8.6, you're like, oh, how big is that? Well, let's put this each game is worth 100 cents approximately. So it's a 120-cent move. So let's put this in perspective. This would be like the Red Sox are playing the Yankees. And the line is, the game's in Boston, and the line is pick them four months before the season starts. Now they're same pitchers. Nothing has changed. Sale's still pitching. Um, Cole's still pitching. And boom, all right, the, the game is about to start, and now the Yankees are minus 220. Do you want to bet on the Yankees? Well, maybe we should have bet on them back four months ago. Yeah. When we could bet one one ten to win a hundred instead of two twenty to win a hundred, then why are we talking about betting the over here? If we could have had the over at seven and a half, why would we take it at eight and a half when nothing really has changed in the positive for Denver? Because we have a rule 
that we're looking to play one over and one under in each division. And the Chargers, I love the under in Kansas City. I'm not going against that 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 trend with the the shuffling mm-hmm. of the O line and the and and they're I would argue they're already they were already priced in when they opened twelve and would they open eleven point eight or twelve Mackenzie on on uh, Kansas City they opened twelve and a half oh did they really yeah. I, I saw I saw some twelve so um, but it, it yeah it hasn't been a move nearly like Denver but um, that opener fully reflected all the hype. Like I mentioned, they, they they won at New Orleans and Tampa last year by three, and they didn't even cover those games. So it's built in from the from the get-go on Kansas City, and there's no way I want the Raiders over. So by definition, maybe I'm falling into a little bit of a trap that um, RJ makes fun of me. I love CLV, closing line value. And I can tell you this, as good as Denver has looked in the preseason, they're still 10 days till their season starts. The money's going to keep coming on Denver. I think it's going to close nine, and you can still get eight and a half. You know, RJ made this point yesterday. If Teddy Bridgewater were worth a damn, Carolina wouldn't be paying his salary to leave so they could replace him with Sam Darnold. Like, that, that if that's not an indictment on what Carolina thinks of, of a player, I don't know what could be. Still beat out Locke, though. What does that say? Like, I mean, again, it's it's almost like the the Saints situation. Like, whoever wins, it's like, oh, he won. Uh, the reasons the odds makers got this number wrong, and some of the reasons they got it wrong is all pro wide receivers. Uh, Cortland Sutton was out all year long, so they forgot. If he would have gotten injured like week four, I think the betters would have remembered uh, much more than Cortland Sutton, out. an all pro. I, I mean, I, Cortland Sutton's a good receiver. No, but. I think it was an all pro. You can j- to check my fact on that if you can, McKenzie. I think when I say all pro, pro, he's a pro bowler. He's, okay, he's, excuse maybe me. a pro bowler. I misspoke. Okay, I okay. misspoke. He was a pro bowler. It's, it's obviously much different. Um, you got Von Miller back healthy. You but I think it. the market's accounted for Von Miller. Yes. No one's, no one's forgetting that Von you Miller's You got Fuller back. from Chicago. Chubb is healthy, and you bring in Sertain. By all accounts, a really good addition in the draft of the defense. This team won. They were 5-11 and 11 last year. Now we're saying we need them to improve four wins. Well, we get the, we get them to five and a half with that seventeenth game because they, they get to play Detroit. Okay. All right. So so I could make the case they get an extra win because they're going to win that game three quarters of the time. At okay. Least. Well, All right. Let's give them that. So that's six. Now we need three more wins. Is Von Miller worth three win? None of the other guys you mentioned are worth a win. Like what? No. How much is Von Miller? Win? Oh, one point. One okay. point. So half a win, and that's and that, I think that's being optimistic. I just think we're asking a lot for Teddy Bridgewater. And here's the other thing about Vic Fangio. When we're, I, where's Vic Fangio on that list of guys coaching for their jobs? Number one, five, okay. plus 500. Vic Fangio, uh, do me a favor, McKenzie, check Vic Fangio's September record. How How is Taylor the Bengals not one? Is he two? I'll check. He wasn't in the top five. That's amazing. <laughs> he must have photos of like the uh, the the Bengal ownership. But I I don't think uh, Vic Fangio's. But they've been a slow starter, and that's the other. I mean, I get it. It's a full season bet, but if you got a ticket in your pocket, a one and three start doesn't make you feel good. And that's what I mean. Do you have the 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 Fangio September uh, record? You give me 45 seconds, I'll have it. Okay. Well, what's interesting about that is that Denver historically has been great at home in their first two home games. And I know that that kind of landed on the number last year um, in their first uh, home game. So those two kind of fall in the face of each other. Uh, so a little bit of the idea is that teams are out of shape 
when they have to play week one or week two. So Denver caught a little bit of a bad break. Their first two games are road games. You want yeah. you want to open up week one and suck and wind in the altitude. Um, but I, they I, also caught a break that their first two road games are very winnable road games. That that that's that certainly the case at the Giants and at Jacksonville. By the way, a friend of mine, rugby player, said the worst game he ever had was they they play a tournament in Aspen. He says that first game was nasty on that field. I uh, I did a fight camp uh, at Jackson Wink MMA in Albuquerque. Mm-hmm. <sighs> it, going from Houston to Albuquerque, the elevation, the difference there. It, I mean, it, it feels the whole time you're training, it feels like someone's standing on your chest. Mm. I mean, it's it is it's no joke. It, it, it's no joke if if you've if you've not dealt with elevation to go out there and deal with it. Mackenzie, forty five seconds is up. What do we got? One and seven in September, Vic Fangio. Had to had to play something over, and we're certainly not going to play the Raiders. There, let's talk okay, about let's the Raiders. Talk the Raiders. Seven is the win total. Nineteen to one to win the division. Eighty to one to win the Super Bowl. Uh, I, listen, the Raiders are they're they're going to I think struggle early. I think the offensive line changes. It's it's kind of a trend in this division. Is there's offensive line overhaul in in, in this division. The Raiders are no uh, stranger to it. They, and they may be one of the teams that has the longest way to go. They, because they made some, a lot of their changes were money related and not necessarily because they made a good personnel decision. But the Raiders do add a pass rusher, which they've been aching for forever. And, and Yannick Ngakwe has been, in the last five years, one of the best pass rushers in the league. I don't under, see. I get if I were looking at an over, and I see seven. To me, the Raiders are a team that I could see go, going over seven. I, I don't know that the Raiders are much better than an eight-win team, which is what they were last year. But with an extra game, I, I don't know that I think they're a six-win team. I, I I feel like they're they they're a lot more viable at quarterback than Denver is. Certainly. What would you put the Raiders defensively? One to thirty-two. Yeah, ballpark. You can have a range. Let's go. I'd say twenty to twenty-six. I'd, I'd go towards the twenty-six. Side. Okay. I, I I think. I mean, they're they're really bottom of the league in terms of you know defensively. Like you like you look at this division. There's not even a conversation. They're clearly, uh, and I guess Football Outsiders has them twenty-eighth. Uh, last last year they were twenty-eighth, and I don't really maybe maybe with the pass rusher it gets a little bit better. So uh, if they're twenty-sixth on defense. And they got to win eight games to beat me. Then they're probably going to have to be above average on offense. Probably top ten offense is what they would probably have to be. And I think Carr is a borderline top ten quarterback. Last year the Raiders weren't a top ten offense. Yes, and the running backs. I do think you 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 made your case, and I thought it was strong that with Josh Jacobs and bringing in Drake, the running backs probably just outside the top ten, above yeah. average, no doubt. But you look at the receivers and the O line, and both of those are bottom ten in the league. You add this all up. I'm struggling to think that the Raiders are going to be more than, at best, slightly, slightly better than an average team. So if they're a 15 on offense and a 26 on defense, and I think that's optimistic on offense. Maybe, 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 like I said, they were really good offensively last year. That would put them like like 19th best team in the league, which would mean that they'd struggle, yeah. you know, to 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 get to eight wins. I, I'd I'd make the counterpoint that while their receiving core is not great. They did use a first-round pick last year on Henry Ruggs. Most people thought he would not be he he would take a year or two to develop, and they have arguably the best tight end in football now. Oh, Waller and Darren Waller. I mean, he's just fantastic. 
that said, wait a you, minute, Kelsey and when you've got one weapon like that, it's easy to game plan. And Kittle are still weapon. in the league, right? They are, but they're they're not as young. They're not. That's as, great. Uh, I mean, that, that's a great. I think while if you had one tight end, you're going to want to snake draft it for the next ten years. That's yeah. A, like that's, who's got the up arrow next yeah. to them? Those other two guys, and especially with Kittle's injuries right? and Kelsey's age, I, I I think I take Waller over those guys, but. I do think that that for them to be as good offensively as they were last year, somebody else has to step step up, whether it be Rugs or somebody has to be like the, the Jacobs guy. has to stay healthy and yep. be. A, Although a, I I really do think Kenyon Drake hmm? bringing him in gives you some wiggle room at running back. That if Jacobs were to get hurt, the drop off isn't immense to to Kenyon Drake. Mariota's so. banged up, but um you know even if Car goes down, we we have Peterman and we saw what he uh, was able to do with Butter Buffalo. <laughs> so, it, the consensus was it, it, where did we land? Did we did we decide neutral on the we Raiders? We neutral. We neutral. Just I, just I was the I was the outlier that said I would go over on the Raiders uh instead of Denver, but it, you know, you guys were neither one of you said under on the I think betting under on the Raiders is foolish. Mm-hmm. There's a team that won 8 games last year. They're not the team isn't worlds different. They're a little better on on the defensive front, a little worse on the offensive front. Most everything else is about the same. My biggest question, typical Raider game, and maybe there, is, there isn't a typical Raider game, what is the home field advantage? I think it swings game by game. I think they play Philly. They play Chicago. I think they're outnumbered at home. I think if they play Jacksonville, it's a really strong crowd. Ticket prices, this is the hottest ticket in town. It is. Most expensive ticket. I can't afford to go see the Raiders not because I can't afford the ticket, but I make so much live wagering, I could never even think about like going to a game. And even if I wasn't wagering, I'd want to watch the red zone anyways. But um, the bottom line is it'll be, I'm curious to see Baltimore. It's kind of like a middle of the road in terms of travel and support, what that Monday night game is going to be like in town. Um, Mackenzie, what do you think? What percentage of the fans be rooting for the Raiders? Baltimore, not the biggest city. I'd say maybe 60%. Question for you specifically about Allegiant Stadium. If they go ahead and do install those betting kiosks and those, you know, at your at your seat little buttons so you can start betting games, would that entice you to get out to an NFL game? No. I'm far too busy with, with everything else and, 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 and the like, and I can bet on all that stuff anyways. I'll tell you this. What would entice me is I've got my M- – have you gotten your MGM credit card yet? I, a credit card? No. Yeah, you got to sign up for the MGM credit card because it links – to the player's card. So you have to have signed up for a player's card. I have that. Beautiful. Pearl that will, status. That gets you pearl status. That I'm get, already pearl status. That gets you. You don't need to. That You're comped to park for free. Yes, free parking. And there's no asterisk. So if you want if you, if someone's about to pay for $100 for parking and you just want to hand them your your, your card, I actually think they always, they always say scanning license plate. I think I think they're bluffing. I don't really think, think so they're, they're they're realist, but you parking's free. You can you keep your car there. You're you're there all night. Boom. You go out. Everyone else paid 100. You pay zero. You park for free in Vegas. You can't pay for parking any of the MGM properties including Mandalay Bay into the stadium. So there's your two choices. Either sign up for the credit card or serve your country for four years, and they'll give you the pearl status. Yes, you That's evaluate which is the better. And if What's you, easier for you? Mackenzie, the choice is yours, my I friend. I just bet tens of thousands of dollars every time I'm at an MGM property, and they give it to me. Okay. Oh. all right. Well, or you can you. park at Hooters now What's I, next to the Tropicana. Yeah, park I, I for don't know free. what it's called. Is it uh, Oya? Oya, yeah. yeah. Oyo. Oyo, Hooters, whatever it was, Hooters, um, just on Tropicana. $3 blackjack. There you go. And walk on over. It's good for you. Uh, here's a, a 
Shuttle from the Excalibur to the Mandalay Bay. Here's a tip that I learned. If you're going to the airport, if you stay in Vegas, and I, I always stayed at the MGM when I, when I was visiting here. The cab lines at the MGM, particularly the night after a fight yes. or the, the morning after a big fight, the, the cab lines are outrageous. If you carry your bag across the street to that Hooters, there's no cab line, and they'll take you straight to the airport. There you it's, go. Uh, now, it's a pain in the ass to walk across the street. You and, might, and, and it's harder it for car. them to cheat you and take you, you know, on the highway. To exactly. The, because they're already heading they're right. They're already headed that way. It's like, oh, I see the sign, airport. With yeah, the, they, they don't have to go turn left down past Mandalay and get on two. They don't do that. All right. So to summarize, should we summarize what we're on Let's here? Let's summarize. All right. So the AFC West, we're going to play the Chargers under. And we need to play one over. We're going to play Denver over. The NFC West, we're going Seattle under, correct? Mm-hmm. And Arizona, I got outvoted. Arizona over. I got outvoted on Seattle. Remember, we play double weights on unders. And if there was a consensus of these four, it is clear cut. The Chargers under is the one that blinking. That's the home run. Everyone agreed with McKenzie. How much are you going to bet on that? 1,100 to win 1,000. There you go. There you go. Uh, all right. Some college stuff to get into. College football right around the corner. There's a game tonight, Central Florida, Boise State. Uh, I gave it out yesterday on Straight Out of Vegas. I gave it out on the podcast. It got deleted last night uh, at minus five. That game is now six and a half. And, Fez, we, we were talking about the the move there, and if it were to touch seven, how much value that would be. Yeah, so let me just break this down using the half-point numbers because it's a little bit cleaner. The last two years, you've hit between 56 and 57% on your releases, all right? Yes. Now, if you ask me, well, what percent are you going to hit this year? I would say I expect you to win, but it's going to be lower because that's like really you've been— Three years in a row, that would be You've been the number one handicapper at pregame on college football the last two years. That would be ridiculous. But I'm going to use 56% for this game. Okay. So bear with me. And if anyone disagrees, delete the 56 and put in whatever number you think is appropriate. About 3% of the time, Central Florida is going to win this game by exactly six points. So I take 3% off that 56. If you lay six and a half, now it's a 53% bet. You can see razor thin yep. in terms of, you know, do I have an edge laying 11 to make 10? 52.4% is break even. Look what happens if this thing got steamed all the way to seven and a half, which I'm not saying it's going to. It won't. The seven, favorite by seven, lands about 6% of the time. It becomes a 47% bet. I interpolate between the two numbers. If it does go to seven, which I think it may, suddenly you're beautiful. 56% minus five and a half bet, and you actually laid five, so a little bit better, erodes into a coin flip where you're paying big, so you're at a disadvantage at minus seven. That's the math. That's why pros bet numbers. It's not the pros don't bet teams as well, but they the numbers have to support the teams. Now, compare so a seven in, in an NFL game is huge. A seven in a, a college football game where the totals in the high sixties less important than a game that's totaled in the forties. That's what that's certainly true, but the college seven is worth more than the NFL seven. And here's why it lands more often. And it's because of the overtime rules. And the NFL can't win by seven. All right. But in college, teams win by seven on overtime all the time. So if the game ended at the end of regulation, you'd be absolutely right. The NFL 7 would land more often. But because of the overtime rules, it's the college 7, even with a higher total, that is more prevalent 
Um, and like I said, I use 6% to be the times that a college favored team favored by 7 wins by 7. I use 5% for an NFL team favored by 7. And you're right, the lower the total, the more likely, by a little bit, that it lands on the number. Well, this game will start at 4 o'clock Pacific time. So you, by the time you hear it in this pod, the game will be start, and started. And this is more the mathematical. Nice winner, yeah, uh, it's the math. <laughs> it's not whether it's a winner or loser. It's the mathematical discussion yes. that we want to get to. Uh, but I did want to go over some of the big games this weekend. And if you guys have some thoughts on them, I'm, I'm curious to hear them. Uh, Georgia Clemson, probably the headliner this weekend. I, here's what I think about this game. I, and my my, if I had to pick a side on it, I'd probably pick Georgia. Uh, but I'm not going to pick a side on it. I, I, I think I, I'll take under 51. I think this is a national championship kind of atmosphere. I think these are two of the five best teams in the country. It, it's a rare time that we get such a marquee matchup opening week. And here's why I think it's an underplay. But I, Clemson's defense is elite. Georgia's defense is elite, too. I don't think the market has adjusted Clemson down offensively. Maybe and maybe they're right not to. I think DJ. I'll just call him DJU. I don't like to uh, butcher his last <laughs> name. I think he's very good. If if he were draftable last season, he would have been the second pick in the draft behind Trevor Lawrence. Like he's got all the tools to be great. He, we don't know yet. Travis Etienne's got, like they, Clemson lost a lot of production. So to say that there's no drop off, I, I, it seems impossible to me. I think they could they could become a juggernaut late in the season. I think it's going to take some time for them to build back into that. But both defenses are going to be elite. Money's been on Georgia, despite yep. some Georgia injuries. I saw it's three and a half and down to three right now. Yep. I, I think both teams struggle to run the football. And I think we're going to get a lot of third and long situations. Uh, I, I think that Clemson's defense could be better than they were a year ago. Feeling out process early in this game. Yep. People, uh, both teams being a little careful and to start Cle the game. And Clemson's defense dealt with a lot of injuries in last year, and they were still great. This year, right now, week one, they're healthy. They should just be phenomenal. Uh, it, now, here's what, what, the biggest loss, the biggest offseason loss for Clemson uh, defensively is Darion Kendrick, who's going to be a cornerback in the NFL. The good news for this under is he transferred to Georgia. So a high-level defensive player still stays in the game even though he transferred mm -hmm. out of the program. So that my take on that one is under 51. That's that's the my, my best lean on the, the Georgia-Clemson game. I just wrote, wrote a derivative that's on the same page as what you're playing, and the game's going to play out slowly. McKenzie, what is my derivative bet going to be? First half under? First quarter first under quarter ten, under. Uh, hoping for ten. Yeah, same thing. But yeah, not the same thing. But the, but but the first quarter, I'll hope for a ten. Ten's so important. It may be it may be nine and a half. I need ten. So. Uh, UCLA LSU big game, uh, second game for UCLA, which I think is a big advantage. Uh, LSU. It's funny everybody's talking about the Saints being disrupted. LSU had to go practice in Houston. They they've been kind of moved out by this whole storm thing as well. This line makes no sense to me. The line was four, all right? It's mm -hmm. stuck, stuck around at four, and I know guys that were liking UCLA anyways. UCLA lost, I think, what, four or five games, all of them close last year, so they were a much better team than their win-loss record. They looked great against Hawaii. Their quarterback looked lousy. The rest of the team, the other 21 guys looked great. Yeah. And, and they can run the ball, and LSU did not stop the run last year. So if the line was four... 
and UCLA just beat Hawaii and covered by 100, and LSU got disrupted with the hurricane, how are we only adjusting by one point? I like UCLA. I like UCLA as well, but again, I like the under. Uh, it totals at 65. I think these are both teams that are going to lean on the run. It means the clock will be moving. Tempo, a little bit of a concern, but we saw questionable quarterback play for UCLA last week. It, they're now they're playing maybe the best cornerback combo in college football. I think there's a lot of running. It means the clock's moving a lot. I, I I like under 65 in that game. Might be a little bit correlated too, even the parlay with LSU. Excuse me, with UCLA and the under. I agree. Uh, and then Penn State, Wisconsin. Wisconsin's minus five and a half. The total is 50. And this is – Wisconsin's tough to read last season because it was so odd for them. The, the, I mean, it was odd for everybody with COVID. Graham Mertz was a freshman. Week one, he plays against Illinois. He's 20 of 21 and five touchdowns. And we're thinking, home. Wisconsin's got a Heisman winner on their hands. Well, unfortunately for Graham Mertz, the very next day, he tested positive for COVID. The offense was never the same the rest of the season. Very uncharacteristically, Wisconsin could not run the football last year. I don't know if that's fixed. The offensive line was good. The offensive line for Wisconsin's always good. For whatever reason, they could not run the football last year. I, I don't know. I don't know if they've gotten that fixed. I don't know if Mertz has another notch to kick it up. Um, and on the other side of the ball, Penn State – Changing some things. There's some turnover defensively. Uh, defensively last year, their big issue was they couldn't force turnovers, and they gave them away on the others. They were minus seven on the season in, in a shortened season. If Now you could say that corrects itself. You can't turn the ball over against Wisconsin's D. Wisconsin's defense is legit, but Sean Clifford's back for year three for Penn State. He's got a lot of weapons in place. They also don't have a surefire answer at running back. I don't know if they can run the football. Uh no one can. No one was able to fill the void that Micah Parsons left. He opted out last year. They never had a linebacker step up and be like the the Penn State linebacker. Mm -hmm. They don't have that now. I. I mean, they have guys who might be able to do it. No one did it last year though. I just think that these two offenses, until they figure out how to run the ball, are going to be limited. I think it's a rock fight game. So if I if I had to make a play on this game, it's the under, which would correlate to me taking five and a half points with Penn State even though I feel like Wisconsin's got more offensive upside I it's everything's probably going to be a pass for me but I would lean under lean Penn State one question for you um epic rainfall from the hurricane Ida that moved all the way across swept through Pennsylvania and New York it seems like it's always raining in Happy Valley anyways was this a disruption to practice this week for Penn State or non-factor I would think it's probably a non-factor but yeah, I mean, it, it may may be. I, you might you might be right. I I, I didn't think of that honestly. Um, just throwing possible factors out there. I don't have the answers. Just the questions on this one. Yep. So I'm passing. And let's get to uh, Alabama, Miami. I've heard a lot of rumbling, and a lot of people that I respect say Miami is the side here. I won't be on that boat. Okay, Al Alabama. They lose a lot of NFL talent. Alabama loses a lot of NFL talent every single year. Here's, here's the handicap, though. What Alabama does have and what they didn't lose is Alabama, if you said name one position group 
in the country that is better than every other position group. Alabama linebackers, Chris Allen, Christian Harris, Jalen Moody, Will Anderson, are all likely first-round draft picks. They, they have four NFL linebackers on the field at the same time. I'll, I'll take the, the under four. I'll take under three and a half on that. Ooh. Now, not just this year. Yeah, it's fine. In the next two years? Uh-huh. Okay, I'll, 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 take, I'll take over three and a half. All right. Um, Is it a bet? Yeah, it's a bet. It's a bet. Yeah. Uh, hit that button for us. Write those dudes' names down. <laughs> they all have to make it. Now, here's the deal. Derek King turned Miami's offense around last year because he was able to get out of the pocket, get into space, create plays. Who even takes a linebacker unless they're like a, a Parsons in the first round anymore? I, I digress. Continue. These are Alabama linebackers. That's what I'm telling you. Uh, Derek King, they're going. They have Alabama has the recipe to keep him in the pocket, and if Derek King is a pocket passer, Nick Saban's going to eat him up. You can't run against Alabama. Opponents ran for less than three and a half yards per carry against Alabama last year. Their front seven is is just stacked as usual. I, the The question is for Bama is what is Bryce Young? Is he going to be Mac Jones? Is he going to be Tua? Is he going to be Jalen Hurts? I don't know. I I tend to think early on Nick Saban is going to ask him to not screw it up. Mm-hmm. Don't turn the ball over. You know Alabama's going to have running backs. You know they're going to they're they're going to be able to control the football. And I think if he's if he doesn't turn the ball over a lot, they're going to be able to dominate. I my my play on this thing is it, my my favorite play is the first half under thirty one. I think that's the best move. I think it's going to take a while. If Miami can score at all, I think it's going to be on some breakdowns late. But I think Alabama's going to game plan to have Derek King. Wear him King. down? Yeah, I, I think Alabama's going to have Derek King game plan for, and he's going to struggle. Here's why, if I had to lean aside, it's Alabama. This is the 10th straight year Alabama's faced a Power 5 opponent in the opener. They've gone 9-0 and in those games. All double-digit wins. Combined score, 351-113. to so that's an average of 39 to 12. And that's Missouri, Duke, Louisville, Florida State, USC, Wisconsin, West Virginia, Virginia Tech, Michigan. They're not playing scrubs. I mean, they played teams that are Miami caliber every year and beat the shit out of them. This Nick Saban, week one, goes out for blood against these other teams, so these other, these other power five schools. So, but the market's largely aware of it, and that's why this thing opened 13, and now it's 19. Yes. So you're paying you're paying the tax for people jumping on the boat late. It's Alabama or pass for me because Nick Saban is he goes and blows these teams out. But under 31 and a half is going to be my best bet for for that game. Uh, Alabama, Miami, first half under. 31 and a half played indoors at in Atlanta. Very good. Uh, all right, Fez, uh, you have, before we get to Hitman and Dave Esslers, let's get your game of the year best bet. Don't know about the future. That's anybody's guess. Ain't no good reason for getting all depressed. Buy up your pad and pencil. I give you a piece of my mind. It's a game of the year. Game of the year, if you will. This is my favorite game of the year of all the lines that are up there, weeks one through 18, and it is available 
at books including DraftKings and Westgate. Last I checked, week three NFL, New England Patriots minus one hosting the New Orleans Saints. What the heck is going on here? New England's a better team than the Saints right now. Look, no further than their season win number, nine and a half. Well, the Saints are at nine, dropping to eight and a half right now. So I'm getting the better team. I'm getting them at home. Well, the only way this line makes sense, it must be a great situation for the Saints, right? <laughs> Wrong. It's a terrible situation. It's gotten worse. Yeah, exactly. The Saints uh, disrupted, practicing in Texas, playing week one in Jacksonville, back to Texas, maybe try to scoot down and see if their home has been flooded out. In the meantime, then, then they got to go and play at Carolina week two, and then the third straight week away from home, going and having to play against Belichick in New England. This line should be five, and we're laying one. It's a best bet. Week three of the NFL season, New England Patriots minus one against the Nomad Saints. And I asked you this last night, and I was shocked at your answer. What's your expectation that that line closes at? Six. And historically, historically, Sean Payton and the Saints have not been quick starters. Remember, they only had two preseason games they played this year, so it's no reason with all these disruptions that things are going to change. Just weeks one and two, last 10 years, Saints team 4-16 and against the spread. You also uh, have a best bet on the Indianapolis Colts season. Yeah, I really think every year it seems like there's a team that's absolutely snake bit and everything is going wrong for them. And it is indeed the Indianapolis Colts this year. Uh, Their quarterback, Wentz, banged up, hasn't had time to practice with the team. Even if he can go week one and there is no um, capable backup, um, Jacob Eason being the backup. And now you look at all the old line issues that they've had with injuries. Uh, Eric Fisher, not only his Achilles, but COVID. And their center was on the COVID protocol for a while. Bottom line is um, uh, Quentin Nelson had a the same broken I don't know, broken bone in his foot that um, he had we'll to deal with. The same foot issue that the Carson foot, Wentz yeah, has. Yeah, we'll call that the um, the new foot injury that yeah. no one had ever heard about before. But everybody's getting it for the Colts. And T.Y. Hilton is he even going to play this year. Just too much going against this team. Um, I know that Dave Essler almost always wins his bets here. I think he's going to lose his best bet that he has coming up. That's bullish on the Colts. I don't think the Colts are going to score any touchdowns. And so because of that, the Colts, deep trouble. Of course, they'll score some touchdowns under 9.5 minus $1.40 Indianapolis Colts. Best bet. On that note, let's go to Dave Essler, Uncle Dave, Diamond Dave, as RJ calls him, for his best bet. 11 bet, Jonathan Taylor. Most rushing touchdowns in the NFL at plus 800. First off, he's got lower odds than both Elliott and Barkley, and for good reason. He had seven 20-plus yard carries last year. Only Jones and Henry had more rushes over 40 yards, which says Taylor can score from anywhere on the field. He had 11 end zones last year when the Colts' offense was built around Rivers, which was a much more stretch-the-field offense than it will be with a healthy Wentz, Ellinger, Eason, or Huntley. And Wentz never been a prolific TD passer ever. In fact, his highest total was 33 in his sophomore year. It's Colts' schedule. They got four games against Jacksonville and Houston, who were second and third in rushing touchdowns allowed. Two against the Titans, who were 11th in rushing touchdowns allowed. And they allowed a dozen rushing scores over 20 yards. The competition for this award, Derrick Henry. Career year last year, not only with yards, but 75 more carries than in 2019. Only one more touchdown than 2019. Regression coming. Dalvin Cook. 
62 more carries last year than the prior year. We obviously questioned his durability. Nick Chubb had a great year, but just one more rushing TD than Taylor did last year. And Taylor didn't start three games in 2020. In those three games, he had just 22 carries. Cook, Henry, and Chubb are the three guys with shorter odds than Taylor, and that's based on history slash name brand. But it's Taylor who has a much higher upside, and I bet that he leads the NFL in rushing touchdowns at plus 800. And his is Jonathan Taylor, most rushing touchdowns, plus 800. You like that? You don't like that, I'm assuming. I don't like that. Yeah. And then, but now one guy you'll never disagree with, the hitman. Here's the hitman's best bet on the New York Giants. Best bet, New York Giants, under seven and a half wins, minus 140. I like it all the way down to under seven, plus money. I made the Giants season win number 6.75, but note that a little nugget that I found that isn't built into my win probability, but that makes this bet even better, is the fact that the Giants this year faced the second toughest set of pass rushes and the single toughest set of pass defenses according to EPA this season. This is important because Daniel Jones was pressured at a league-high rate last season, and he was ranked 29th by PFF when under pressure. The Giants might have the league's worst offensive line on paper. Not only do they have a terrible offensive line, but they're dealing with injuries to the skill position players of Saquon Barkley, Kadarius Toney, Kenny Galladay, and Evan Ingram. This is going to be one of the bottom five offenses on paper, and I do believe that their defense is decent, but they did overachieve last season. Best bet, Giants under seven and a half wins. And I'm going to make a rare guarantee. You're going to win with the Hitman. Sign up for him. How sure am I of that? Keep a receipt if you purchase the Hitman for the year, not any one game, but for the year. And you don't make money betting the Hitman. You look me up during the offseason when I'm not busy. So anytime after March Madness ends, you're in town. I will personally buy you dinner. We can talk sports betting if the hitman does not come through because he will because the hitman is very, very focused and he attacks those props like nobody else where the edges are the highest. There you go. That is the uh, the hitman's best bet there under on the New York Giants win total. All right. Apologies that RJ couldn't be here, but I feel like we did all right. The, you know, without our fearless leader, I think we did okay, Fez. He, uh, he, he laid out a nice roadmap for us That's last right. night. We followed it and uh, didn't detour off of it. Uh, if you do want to, if you miss RJ that much, you can hear the, uh, the conversation that we had on Straight Out of Vegas with Mac Jones and Cam Newton. So that RJ's in spirit and a little bit in audio form. But, you know, and, and he'll be next week's week one. We'll all be in saddle. We'll all be in, in game shape as we like to call it. All right, McKenzie, thank you. As always, my friend Steve, thank you. Thanks to the Hitman. Thanks to Dave Essler for their best bets. And thanks, of course, to the audience for riding out with us. And uh, we're looking forward to a fun and profitable football season. We will see you next week. Shocking news earlier today to some people. Cam Newton, not even was he that he was not named the starting quarterback of the New England Patriots. That nod goes to Mac Jones. But Cam Newton released by New England after a year plus as quarterback taking over after the departure of Tom Brady. You know, a, a friend of the show and, and, and a real close um, associate with a lot of the Fox people, Colin included, John Middlecoff, predicted this. And he backed off it a little bit after Cam had, you know, I can't remember exactly the circumstances uh, exactly when he backed off. But it was like, I think Belichick's going to cut Cam. This is probably two weeks ago. And so I think he gets probably 75% credit. It was a heck of a prediction. I did not expect this. I thought 
Mac Jones starting was a viable option, um, very possible. But I thought Cam was undoubtedly a great backup. I mean, obviously, if you just think about it, no one thinks that Brian Hoyer is the better backup than Cam. The question is, why did he get cut? And Jonas, maybe you've read some inside reporting I haven't seen. Do you have any sense, not your opinion, but from the reporting on why Cam was cut? No, I think there's just speculation. I mean, he had, you know, an Instagram post in which he said, I uh, appreciates all the love and support and, and it's all good. Don't feel bad for him. But I think the speculation is that maybe they either they didn't think he was a viable backup just from the the shadow of Cam Newton being there and just his presence and and you know his resume or maybe Cam Newton just said I don't want to be a backup I want a chance to start somewhere and he didn't feel like it was New England yeah and 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 I think an, <clears throat> another possibility would be New England says listen we'll cut you go try to get a place that's that's better you know for a viable starting competition and I, I haven't heard anyone talk about this, but I would think it's very possible he swings back around and, and, and rejoin. Because the question is, what team would he be able to join now and learn the offense in a way that would be a viable starter, right? The whole yeah. off. Yeah. So my thought is, and I don't even think this is debatable, this year Cam Newton is more valuable in New England than anywhere else. Now, is he valuable enough in New England to keep on the team, I think most certainly, AJ, you disagree. I do disagree, and I think, and obviously it is speculation, but I think the the Vax thing, whether it's fair or not, plays into this. I I don't think Bill Belichick wanted distractions. I think the the possibility that he could even lose a game of quarterback based on this. So you're saying, do not be the starter. I could see the COVID vaccination question being a big part of it. I agree. But to say you think they cut him because they think he's worthless. Not as a person, but as a No, not as as a a person. I I do think that Cam Newton, as a football player, is maybe we're not talking about enough, kind of washed up. And, RJ, you you talk about, you know, not not looking at counting stats. QBR, the the best – stat available to us his last five years 47 22.5 53.2 51.5 47.1 that's his five years that's that's that so one to 100 on the qbr and the average has drifted up originally it was set where 50 would be average so now it's moving towards uh, what mckenzie like 55 being average yeah 58 last year was a high okay so those numbers are saying Cam Newton is a slightly below average quarterback, but that would be a below average starter. So well, last he, year he was he was between Drew Locke and Nick Mullins in mm-hmm. QBR. Yeah, and Nick Mullins at, at San Francisco. So what number was he last year? He was thirty out of thirty-three. Yeah. So and and remember QBR keeps uh, rates running as a big portion of it. Yes. So a lot, you know, like passer rating doesn't. So in theory, QBR is going to be better for cam. All right. So I don't think five years matters. I think the only years that matter it would be one year last year. The, de- the debate was, did cam getting COVID last year physically take its toll in a lingering way that hurt? Cause he was a lot better. Just think back to the Seattle game. He was a lot better before the COVID as you would call it, AJ, than after. So a lot of people thought, hey, if you actually look at the year before, so to, uh, that would be 2019, 
before he got hurt, the first half of the year was outstanding. See, I was optimistic about Cam in 20 because, the, you know, the first half of 19 was so good. Then he got hurt and he was playing hurt and it wasn't near as good. But does anyone – how many let's, – let's ask Jonas. What backup quarterbacks are clearly better than Cam Newton? And, you know, obviously we can say Andy Dalton's a back. I mean, to some degree we can debate who's the backup in certain positions. But would you agree Cam's in the top ten of backups? Oh, yeah, 100%. Yeah, no do, doubt. Do you disagree with that, AJ? I do not. All right. So then why wouldn't you want one of the best backups in the league? Because I don't want six million dollars tied up to my backup quarterback. But the quite, but that was the six million is a number that was with um, bonuses and all kind of things that as a backup he would never reach. So he's well, that's a, fair. Yeah, but also he's a very I, economical backup quarterback. I, I also don't like the idea of having a quarterback who, if my young quarterback struggles, people are going to be clamoring. Oh, let's get Cam out there. Let's look at what Cam did in 2015. He can does do that, that again. Like Bella, does that seem like Belichick though? Worried about no. That? If anything, he wants his uh, uh, quarterback to have high stress on him because he wants to see if he can handle it. Does it seem like Belichick to want a quarterback who's still refusing to get vaccinated, even though he's had to deal with issues twice now? now to me, that seems like the least Belichick thing you know something i agree with you and that's why i i was asking about the reporting because i would wonder how much of it was a matter of that now here's the thing you brought up an interesting point you were saying it's the practical reality of might miss games but it's also the potential of a distraction meaning the covid vaccination status being a you know lingering question and you know if camp did get it then it'd be a big distraction i think that it could be a, a big factor. I mean, once again, I strongly feel after he was initially cut, Tim Tebow would have certainly been a backup quarterback in the league, except backups and distractions don't go together. There's not celebrity backups, to quote Colin. And I agree with him there in that the, the negative of the distraction is significant with Cam. And I think even if Cam, there wasn't a COVID slash vaccination issue, COVID or Cam is just a celebrity backup. And that's kind of tough. And I also think that the thing that makes me think that he's going to let Cam take a pass around and see and then maybe double back is how tough of a decision this was. Meaning if this was an easy decision, Belichick would not have waited and waited and built the anticipation. Usually in PR, if you want to build up the anticipation, think about American Idol, is you have a pre-show, you have something else that feeds the machine, and people are talking and talking, and there's anticipation. Who shot JR? Then at the end of the third episode, you say it, and everyone's waiting, waiting, waiting. Isn't that what Belichick kind of did here? Which is the opposite. I, th I think he was trying to make a decision. And my guess is the minute he made it, they planned on announcing it, you know, soon after. If that's the case, then as of yesterday, they didn't know what they were going to do. And if that's the case, it means it was a close call. And if the contract says that keeping him as a backup is not a big deal, which is certainly true, it's not a big deal financially, and it was such a close call to drag it out, Man, it feels like there's another reason he got cut. It could be that the COVID thing, they just don't want any part of it. Or it could be that they respect Cam enough to give him a chance to get on a place so he could be, have a better chance as a starter and otherwise come back to New England. AJ first, then Jonas. 
Well, if you remember when they signed Cam Newton, he was on the scrap heap. It looked like Cam Newton was going to be kind of forced into retirement. There wasn't no, anybody no, knocking no, no, down no. Cam's door. Question, hold on. Let's let's not revise history. The question at the time was was he going to get a 20 million dollar deal? Was it and then when they ended up signing him for, you know, really low numbers, it was Cam saying if I'm going to have to sign cheap, I'm going to do it in New England. But I I strongly feel, and Jonas, maybe give your opinion on this, that if New England somehow didn't pick or select Cam to sign a contract with them, that there were multiple other teams that would have at that price. It wasn't like New England or retire. That wasn't my sense at all. Uh, it was a surprise he came in so cheap, which is a sign that the market wasn't as robust. I agree, AJ, but I don't think it was about retirement. What, what do you remember, Jonas? I, I, I don't think there were as many options for him, but I think it was also one of those, if he was going to sign with the team, it was going to be late. That, that this was going to take up, you know, it was going to take a long time. The Patriots, I think, signed him finally in July, if I'm not mistaken. So yeah. I, I didn't hear that there were a bunch of other teams in the market for him, but I think his plan was if there wasn't an opportunity to start, he was going to wait as long as possible, maybe an injury, maybe some sort of a COVID mm. issue at the time. We weren't sure. And then he was going to make his decision. So there would have been some takers. I, I don't know how many legit starting jobs there were for him. And New England felt like the only one at that time. Is Cam's stock better or worse now than it was last offseason? Great question. I think it's worse. I, I do too. too. Yeah. I do, too. I think it was even before he got caught because he had a bad season last year. And there were, hey, listen, I will take the bows when I'm right, and I'll take the heat when I'm wrong. I really thought Cam would have a good year last year. So because, I again, if you look at 19, before he got hurt, he was great. Something's happened physically, it seems. And, and you know, we'll see where the reporting is. AJ, last thing, and we'll take a break. I don't know. I don't know that it's fair or not, but I really do think teams are going to take into account the fact that Cam is not going to get vaccinated. And if you're, well, first of all, we I, don't know if he's going to or not. But it well, seems he so said far, he's, he's not going resistant. to. Yeah, oh, he, he's been he, resistant. He said that he said well, explicitly, "I'm not going to get vaccinated." No, he said before he has no plans to, and, okay. and clearly he still hasn't done it. Most guys who are going to do it have done it by now. You would think. Yeah, I think that the, the teams are going to be hesitant. Res- some people who resisted. And then there became consequences to it in their work. Other people have relented. But again, I, I think I just wanted to, if he had said, I'm not going to get vaccinated no matter what, that to me is a different statement. You're saying his actions so far show he's not inclined to, and there's nothing to show that he's going to be. I accept that. Yes. And I think that there are teams who look at that as a negative and a reason not to sign a guy. Now, if if, if we're talking some of these other guys who haven't done it, like Josh Allen, if Josh Allen says, uh, uh, which you know, there, there's there's is the juice worth the squeeze exactly. on some guys? Josh Allen, it is. Cam Newton at this point, I just don't know if it's worth the headache. If there's one thing that we see in the NFL, and, and in a way I like it, is the guys that cause unnecessary. And I'm not putting Cam and the vaccination in that category, but any unnecessary problems. Your tolerance extends as far as their talent. If they're a Josh Allen, hey, we're gonna call, you want a private plane, you want this, you want that. The minute it's not economically worth it is the minute it ends, and it builds up resentment. When, the, when, when there's a special vindictiveness to the person you want to get rid of but you can't, the minute you can get rid of them, you can't. It's just a joy because these are powerful people, head coaches, GMs, owners. They, the idea that a person is holding them hostage in a way with their crazy demands and you don't have a choice. I mean, Aaron Rodgers, to me, would be a perfect example of that. If you're the GM of the Packers, do you like that Aaron Rodgers gets to – 
you know, in a way have leverage over you, the minute Aaron Rodgers isn't as good as uh, that's worth that hassle is the minute that there's joy getting rid of him. Uh, Jonas, last word before the break. Yeah, I'm curious to see what happens next because I do think his stock is down. And I just wonder, look, they, the Patriots also uh, a little while ago released Brian Hoyer as well, too. So oh, this my gosh. Could be, yeah, so Who's this the backup could, quarterback? Jared, Jared Stidham. Stidham. Yeah, so oh my it, gosh. It, it could be a situation, uh, and I was talking to somebody earlier, and they floated out the potential of maybe this is a way that they save money and bring back Cam Newton. That seems like a long shot, but it's going to be interesting to see whether or not uh, you've heard back. You've heard others talk about bringing him yeah, back? Yeah, just, just like the contractually, if they part ways now and then bring him back, they don't owe him any veteran guarantees okay. that, that it was worded. But, you know, it, it just it seems like if they were going to keep him, they would have just gone ahead and kept him. I, well, I don't know. I, again, I also think that there was – wouldn't you – you agree, Jones? There's a lot of respect that was built up for Cam in New England. Like a shot, Cam after that Super Bowl, not going for that fumble. There was a real, and all the fashion stuff and the top hats. There was a real sense that this was a, a you know, an unusual duck, as they say. And his talent kind of would paste over that. Yeah. The idea that he went to New England and didn't play well and still was a grinder, I, I would say that's going to help his his his. In hindsight, his reputation, it doesn't. But but I think this is anything. It's financial, but also if they do take him back, hey, it's Cam Newton. Give him a chance to go be a starter. If he can't come back, I, I would not be shocked at that myself. Who is the betting favorite to land Cam Newton next? The Dallas Cowboys. It kind of makes sense if you want a <laughs> celebrity backup. It's going to be in Dallas. They are five to one. Washington six to one. The Colts. Six to one, the Pittsburgh Steelers six to one. So three tied for second. Washington, Indy, Pittsburgh, the leader, Dallas at five to one. By the way, Dallas releases Garrett Gilbert. He can go back to professional wrestling with Dominic Danucci, also released. He calls himself Ben here. I don't know if he's anglicizing his name or what. <laughs> <laughs> now, what's fascinating about the Patriots having cut Brian Hoyer and going with Stidham is as the crack researcher Mackenzie Rivers came up with is he's on the pup list. So Stidham. So if Stidham is the backup, but he can't play till week seven, Jonas, I, I mean, I kind of am a mathematician. It doesn't make sense. Who's the you, backup week one, two, three, four, and five? Yeah, I'm not What's sure. Sense? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if uh, if uh, Belichick's got a couple throws in his arm or whatnot. But I, I think the feeling there is either more likely scenarios that Brian Hoyer is brought back, or um, or Cam Newton. potentially Cam Newton. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. I think this is further evidence. Let Cam have his chance to find a great spot. And then sign him for even, you know, like you said, without the guarantee, the veteran guarantee or whatever. Perfect. And also, we talked about it last year. The one thing that you can't deny, Belichick loves Cam Newton. Yeah. Like, he, like he spoke so glowingly about him last year and all through the offseason. And, and one of the jokes was, man, he never even talked about Brady like that. Like, he really appreciated and liked Cam Newton. And so that's, that's what took me by most surprise is that they would just end up cutting him. It feels like there's either got to be something else going on or there's another move that we're waiting on mm -hmm. and it could be them bringing him back. I think it's... In both cases, it's respect. To let him go and go find a, a potential better situation is respect. To re-sign him would be respect.
So, what what better situation is he going to find than you know well, backing up a rookie start. quarterback? I mean, in theory, it's a valid point. If anything, this shows the optimism. I think the bar was high for Mac Jones to win this job. The odds spoke to it. Mackenzie, did we find actually find out what the best or the biggest payoff was for Mac Jones during the uh, lead up to this? Yes, when the odds first opened in May, it was Newton minus 400 to take the first snap for the Patriots, Mac Jones plus 500. Okay. Well, that can't be. You, you can't get paid more than the lay price, minus 400 plus 500. I might have flipped those. Cam Newton minus 500, <laughs> Mac Jones I like plus 400. See, see, Joe, there's a lot of hosts that would have just went right by. It's like, wait a minute, I can lay four and take five? Give me, give me, give I like that bet. We are straight out of Vegas. But either way, it's showing you. The actual, you know, odds were, you know, minus or minus 500. That's very unlikely. And it's happened. And like uh, Mike Lombardi, friend of the show, uh, you know, Belichick friend and, um, you know, staff member at various points in Cleveland and in New England. He was very skeptical initially that Mac Jones could even win the job. It was like a rookie. They love Cam. There's not enough time in the preseason. I mean, Mac Jones, I think, and let me see if anyone can debate this. And I'm open. In fact, AJ, I want you, you're stubborn. Try, just do it even if you don't, <laughs> just go with one. Who had the, which among the rookie quarterbacks had a better preseason than Mac Jones? I don't think None. you can name one. Who None. would be number two? I mean, right. Trevor Lawrence. Lawrence wasn't all that impressive. No, it wasn't Lawrence. Trey Zach Lance Wilson. Wasn't. Zach Wilson played what, like, like 20 snaps? Yeah. I mean, maybe more than that. What I'm saying is this guy, and I'll tell you, to me, guys, this is a big point. It's a big point. And all the wannabe scouts, the quasi-scouts that talk about arm strength and mobility and their stature when they walk off the bus, how they look, just think of Dad Bob Jones, as they say, or Mac and Cheese with his shirt off, and Cam. And the fact that Mac Jones got picked, and Cam didn't. I got to tell you something. It makes me like football more because I'm more like Mac Jones physically than I am Cam. I'm not Mac Jones. He runs like a 4'7 or whatever. But what I'm saying is we can all relate. Most of us, by definition, are not extraordinary physically because extraordinary means extraordinary. It's beyond ordinary. And if that's all it was, who won the genetic lottery, or who was uh, so boneheaded that they, all they did was lift in the gym. If that was the only thing that mattered, how fun would any of this be? Right? It's the fact that a Mac Jones can get a win over Cam. Not that I don't like Cam, because I think there's things sad about that. But man, oh man, I love that Mac Jones can do it. And I love that Drew Brees could be one of the top 10 quarterbacks of all time. Even though Jonas is taller than him. How tall are you, Jonas? <laughs> Six two. Yeah, you yeah. tower over him. <laughs> but look at you. You're not you're not a top ten quarterback of all time. No, I'm not even bottom ten quarterback of all time. I'm not, I don't even qualify. <laughs> and, and, and to me, that's the beauty of it. And I mean, just go around the horn. Doesn't that? Or let's start with McKenzie, the the the, lead, the most ordinary body amongst us. McKenzie. Well, he's tall at least. He's tall. How how does that make you feel? Love it. Love seeing Boris Diaw succeed. I love when anybody doughy like me gets to succeed in the big time. <laughs> my my basketball game is a lot like Diaw. So, AJ, what do you think? 
No, I'm with you. It's we go back to that Brady photo at the combine, and that guy turned into the best quarterback of all time. Best I think that just, player that, of all time. It, that makes this. That makes the story even better. All right, Jonas, the best body amongst us. What do you think? Oh, well, I mean, I think it's a great story for Mac Jones. I just wonder when did it turn at training camp? When did this all of a sudden go from Cam's going to be the starter? We'll develop Mac Jones to wait a second. What are we waiting for? Let's just you know rip the bandaid off and start over with Mac Jones. Like I, I just wonder when did that turn? I don't know if the odds indicate it because oh, it never did it never yeah, that's did. the thing I, it's, it, it moved in that direction and we said in the headlines yesterday the smart whispers were pointing to mac but they never mac was never even at 50 percent and uh here's what i would say by and i heard this on undisputed and it's an interesting one after the giants uh controlled scrimmage against the giants when mac went uh 35 of 40 i think is what they said that Belichick, he was kind of on one knee and they were walking off the, you know, the other players were walking off the field and Belichick went over and apparently gave him a little high five, you know, and you know how Skip is. He created that, that that's the passing of the torch and all that. But again, from what I heard on the rumblings, that practice against the Giants when Cam was actually out because of the COVID concern to speak to AJ's uh, obsession. I mean, point on that <laughs> is the fact that I think it was there. Does that sound right to you, Jonas? Yeah, see, but I had also heard that the next day it didn't go all that well because all of a sudden the Giants started blitzing. But they, they, started... Said they, they said the game plan for the practice against them. So in a way, that's ultimate respect. Yeah. They said we can't let that guy do this anymore. Yeah, and it does bring up the interest. We had the conversation, who do you think Belichick wants out there against Brady in week four? And, and I guess I guess we have our answer now. And I'll tell you this. If Cam started, I don't think he would have been pulled before week four because I do think there's a net negative. But then, you know, Skip actually made a great point about that, I thought, which was he said, but if Belichick thinks they can win, and how much credit would Belichick get if he beats Brady with Mac Jones? A lot because it's his quarterback. It's his guy. He's tutoring. If he beat him with Cam – Cam historically has done well against Brady, though I don't understand against Brady. It's been against the Patriots defense at the time. So, but it would feel like less of Belichick's victory if it is had been with Cam, where I think that if Belichick loses, it'll be more of a loss. So I think the stakes go up in week four for Belichick because of this decision. What do you think, uh, AJ? Yeah, I think that, you know, the decision, the, like you said, him wanting to put his best foot forward with Tampa, I think all this speaks to is that he felt like now his best best foot forward was with Mac Jones. And uh, I, I think that they, you're right. They would not have made a change before that game happened. But at this point, they feel like that he's their best chance to beat Tampa. Yeah, or maybe not. Maybe not. But the best chance to make the playoffs and win the Super Bowl. Yeah. That's the thing here is to whatever degree this is a smart decision for multiple years, it's a less smart decision for the rest of this year, and it's a less smart decision the game won. 